It is my pleasure to welcome Missy McCracken as my guest on this episode of the Why Sports Podcast. Stories of competitors making competition matter inside and outside of sports. Missy is the owner of Higher Energy Rising Coaching, and she will share with us in this episode her experiences in sports and how they have shaped and framed what she is doing now and how what she is doing now can benefit young athletes and sports parents in today's youth sports environment. Missy comes with much experience in sports, including being a part of the Carmel High School Girls Swimming State Championship team that was the first champion in this current run of 33 consecutive Indiana High School Swimming State Championships. Missy then went on to swim in the Big Ten at the University of Michigan, would later get her law degree, law degree and work for the NCAA as an attorney. There's great energy in this interview. Missy has a lot of fun things to share and also shares a funny story about a time when she met fellow University of Michigan alum, Jim Harbaugh. I hope you enjoy this episode and gain much from it. I thank you for listening. And now, here is my conversation with Missy McCracken. Missy, thank you for joining me today on the Y Sports Podcast. I want to start out by the first question. What is your first memory of being involved in a competitive environment? There are two memories that kind of come to mind when you say like first memories. And they're several years apart, but they are clearly like defining moments at the beginning of my competitive sports history. The first was being in swim lessons um, really early on, maybe, I don't know, I, it had to be before, maybe first or second grade. And um, the teacher wanted us to go the whole way underwater without breathing. And I couldn't do it. And if you did it, you got a Snickers bar. So great motivation for me. Um, but so I couldn't do it for a couple of times, a couple of weeks, you know, you show up and try again, show up, try again. And then finally I did it. And it was like the best feeling in the world to have something I didn't think I could do and then finally get to a point where I was able to do it and just remember feeling that like, you know, beaming pride with yourself. Um, and, and then another one was, um, I was asked to swim the hundred butterfly at a really young age, maybe nine. Um, and I didn't, I wasn't ready for it. Like I really didn't, it wasn't anything I had thought about doing and, um, and it was kind of an overwhelming idea at the time. And I got about, I got to the 75 and I stopped, which is three links in, and I stopped on the wall. <clears throat> and I remember crying and thinking that I was gonna die and looking up and realizing there was nobody that was gonna res rescue me from this situation. And um, I finally got the nerve to push off again and do the last 25. And um, it was really a, like a, a moment of like, I don't think I realized it at the time, but looking back on it of like, well, here, this, you have to do stuff for yourself if you want it. One, one thing I want to draw attention to from your answer to that question, and this goes for sports parents who have young kids who are just starting out, as you'll find out later, Missy's a very accomplished swimmer, yet think about what she just shared with us on how her career started. It started with kind of freaking out, not being comfortable with the swim underwater, 
and the motivation came from a Snickers bar. Yeah. <laughs> and then when you actually are, which will in a, not in, surprise my yeah. friends at all <laughs> to know that the chocolate bar this, motivated like, me. Chocolate bar is awesome. <laughs> right. But uh, and then at nine years old, you know, it, I think a great example is that you shared there is the fact that when you're nine years old, you're going to have things happen sometimes. That doesn't mean you can't be an accomplished athlete later. And I want sports parents listening to this to know that it's not the end of the world when your child's struggling with a concept or a new uh, strategy or a new skill, even as nine, 10, 11 year olds, it's not, it's not the end of their sports career when that happens. Yeah, that's a good point. I think um, my parents were excellent um, sport parents in the sense that they really let us have our own journeys. Um, and in that example where I was stopped on the wall, I mean, I remember looking and seeing my dad in the stands and he wasn't going to get up <laughs> to come get me. And so, um, and, and they never, I mean, he didn't say anything other that day other than what he would have said any other day. I mean, it wasn't a big deal to anybody that I had a moment mm-hmm. that I was broken down and, you know, in they were my parents were really good at letting the journey be our own being great supporters in our journeys um but also always being slightly amazed at where we um like kind of with our outcomes mm-hmm. you know always being impressed with us without being like thinking we were more amazing than we were but just always acknowledging or saying, you know, wow, you really surprised, you know, how good you are at that really is really, uh, you know, shocking to us. We had no idea you were going to be that good. There was no expectation that we were going to be something amazing, that it was just always acknowledged and they were grateful for our efforts. And it was just, it was a great experience, a parenting experience for us in our sports. How much of your future success, which we'll we'll get deeper into later, sure. um, do you believe came from the fact that your parents had that perspective and they didn't overinflate your value as a swimmer, but they also didn't underinflate the importance of it as well? They just kept it sounds like kept a very even keel on your sports experiences. Well, I think it probably had a great deal to do with it, but at the same time, we were in a different time. You know, like when you're growing up in the '70s and the '80s and you have to get to practice, sometimes you're on your bike. And now we're in a society where parents drop everything. They leave work to get their kids food. They, um, it's just a completely different environment. Our, we didn't grow up where kids were the center of everything, where adults quit what their obligations were in order to focus on the child like we have today. So I feel like it gave us the freedom to fail and not feel like you're disappointing anyone, um, and to and to succeed and know that you had support. So I think that's um, I think it's huge. And I try to work really hard to do you know parent kind of the same way in regard to my kids. And at the same time, it's hard to apply those same parenting skills in an environment where we are hyper um, focused on what our kids can do. What do you think has changed? That you, you mentioned a line there that I really like, freedom to fail. Mm-hmm. What do you think has changed between the time 
that we were raised in an environment where that was much more allowed. And I, and I was going to tease you and say, I bet when you were riding your bike to practice, you didn't even wear a helmet, right? <laughs> of course <laughs> to, not. <laughs> to where we are now where, as you mentioned, everything, there's a hyper-focus on every performance, every practice, every competition. And in some ways, the kids, and you mentioned this as well, are almost put before the parents, and, and the parents are the ones doing this. Absolutely. I mean, we tease sometimes around our house, like we're the generation that when we were growing up, adults were the leading people in the family. Like if my parents had bridge night, my plans worked around the bridge party, um, you know, so they weren't, they weren't canceling the bridge party or not going. Do people still play bridge? That's the, that's the question. I, I think my parents might. Okay. <laughs> but I, I mean, they weren't, they weren't canceling the bridge party to get me where I needed to go. It was kind of like, well, you'll either have to go at noon because that's when we're free to take you or you'll have to, you know, and I mean, it, that was just the norm. They weren't doing anything other than other people at that time were doing. And, um, and so I think the focus is different. And, and so there's pressure on kids today that we don't, I don't think we're meaning to put on them. But I look at like what my kids are doing, you know, my son is being asked to do for high school and, um, and he plays sports and, um, and the class and the pressure to be, you know, everybody's taking AP classes and everybody's doing honors and everybody's doing, you know, everybody is, it's just to a whole new level. It's really kind of frightening as a parent to, to, to figure out how to navigate all this frenzied acceleration of success. When you're looking at, and, and again, later on in the podcast, we'll dive deeper into your actual business and what you're doing, but just to give some background, you're doing some, I, I guess maybe let's just start with you explaining it to everybody. I don't want to get wrong what you're doing, but when you look at what you're doing, how are you seeing this in, in clients and athletes you're working with and coaching currently, the pressure affecting them? And, and what do you think, where do you see it going as we move forward? Sure. Okay. So the short way of how I explain to people what the work I'm doing is I'm basically a mindset mastery coach and I work with athletes and coaches and the organizations that support them to change their minds about what they think they can do and be in the world. And so people often are seeking help in being able to tap into their zone of genius at competition. They feel like sometimes the getting, uh, you know, they're not having the performances they want. Um, and then also um, transitioning from life with sport to life without sport is huge. They have no identity outside of sport um, or they don't, they don't feel a sense of identity outside of sport is a better way to say that. And then um, also just um, resiliency, learning to not make meaning out of everything or learning how to train your brain to use things in service of where you want to go, who you want to be, what you want to do. And when I think about like the two instances earlier, earlier on in my career, I can look back on them and see that those were breadcrumbs and really that this athletic experience should be about gathering breadcrumbs um, so that you have a trail um, that you can look back on. And I think we've, we think that the athletic experience now is supposed to be the whole journey and it becomes the focus of our lives. And um, really it should just be along the way, you should be picking up little breadcrumbs. Like um, I can do something I didn't think I could do. I, um, if I want something, 
I'm going to have to do it for myself. And I don't mean that in a sense like I'm alone in the world. I mean it in the sense of like this really, my success is up to me and I have to decide, you know, I have to make a decision to do it. And, you know, sometimes the deciding is the biggest, is the hardest part. And then once you decide, then the focus comes into play and, you know, aligned action and that kind of thing all happen. But so it, those are breadcrumbs at the very beginning of my career that I can look back and put into my basket. But my whole life was never, um, the focus was not the whole journey through sports. It was just sports were going to provide some breadcrumbs. And so what I hear you saying, just to make sure I have this clear, mm -hmm. is you feel like what you're experiencing now is by people making the whole journey, the thing is, is it almost two outcomes focused? Is that like wins and loss focused? time, personal best, all that is too much of the focus or where, where do you see that balance? Yeah, I think if you're not careful to point out and help kids see the breadcrumbs in it and gather the breadcrumbs and realize that those breadcrumbs are going to make one really great set of croutons on the best salad of their life. You know, if you're not mindful of what's happening and helping kids see that this is this is the breadcrumb that then it can become too outcome focused. And then there's too much. Um, and then, and, and then you see kids leading the sports um, when really youth sports should all be about growing the passion for the sport. One of the things is you collected your breadcrumbs mm -hmm. over the years. I'm happy to report that Missy lost all her motivation that came from Snickers and found other things <laughs> were beneficial. And with that also got over some of the fears she shared early on and later became part of the first team to win a state, the first Carmel girls swim team to win a, the state championship of this 33 year streak that the school is now on. When you look back to 1987 and being part of that first team and now step out 33 years later and know that it is arguably, and I think maybe inarguably, the most dominant high school sports program in the country, Carmel High School Girls Swimming. To know you were a part of that, that started that 33 straight years. And oh, by the way, I was noticed too from 2009 to 2017, Carmel High School Girls Swimming won eight out of nine national championships. Mm -hmm. This is literally the premier high school sports, sports program in the country. You were on the early end of that. At the time it happened, was there any inclination for you or your teammates that you were laying the foundation and, and really lighting the fire to something that special? Of course not. Yeah. I mean, I, it's too big to think about. I mean, I think it's actually considered in history the most winning high school program, and not just in swimming, but in all sports. So, um, no, you. I don't think, I mean, that was way bigger than any of us were thinking at the time. I do know that we, our club team, Carmel Swim Club, was winning state championships, had begun to win the age group state championships. And right before we um, went into high school, I remember that the high school girls team, I was, I was a little bit like startled to realize that our high school wasn't winning state championships. Like it was like, and I remember looking at my friend who was on the teams with me, Christine Simmons, and um, we were at the swim meet and the older girls had come from their state championship to the swim meet. And I don't even remember what place they got, but they were there and they were talking about how they had done. And I was just shocked that they didn't win. And when we had been winning as an age group program for a little bit, and I looked at her and I was like, 
I can't be on a team that can't win. And, um, and we were kind of like, yeah, we got to figure this out because we want to be, we want to keep winning, you know, and not that winning is everything, but we were, we were focused on getting a state championship. So it was the idea of getting one was definitely there. I don't know that we thought it was possible to even win three years in a row, let alone 33 years in a row. Obviously, you were even more at the beginning, as you share that story, of the tradition of Carmel swimming. Mm-hmm. And it had to be fun to kind of think, reflect back and realize that what you did in the club portion and your teammates, you started to win. And then I love how you just shared, but we didn't see the high school doing that. But obviously, that wave came forward. Who were some of the people that were influential early on to you in your swim career and also to the, the Carmel Swimming Program? And explain what they maybe did differently than other coaches you've had that, that helped lead to this success. Well, I think, first of all, we were, I mean, the people that inspired me the most were my own teammates. I mean, Ginger Faber, Christine Simmons, Heidi Hafner, Trisha Tyner. I mean, we were competitive. I mean, we were angry when somebody, you know, outperformed us in practice. We were, you know, Angie Roby. I mean, kids, there were just everybody, we were, you know, gritty. And we were just going to, you know, battle it out and make it happen. And we made each other better. Um, but as far as, like, my, the people in front of us, Kim Holmes um, was a great teammate that was older than us, a great mentor. Um, you know, Cindy Dietrich, who swam for... Carmel in the season, uh, the club season, but was at North Central is another person. Raquel Williams swam for Pike, but swam for Carmel in the club season. So there were this group of girls, um, you know, Ann Matthews, Kim Kobza, that were in front of us um, that were, that I think had they not been there, maybe we wouldn't have had something that we were like, okay, let's try to beat them. You know, they were, they were important enough and we had enough respect for them and they were good to the point that we wanted to beat them. And I think it drove us to a whole new level that we didn't know and expect, you know? You know, there's a concept, um, and I'm sorry I have to say this to University of Michigan graduates, yeah. but, but Tom Izzo, the, the yeah. head, head it's men's okay. basketball coach. I can coach. respect Tom Izzo, even though he's from Michigan State. <laughs> At Michigan State, he, is, he has often said that a player coach team is way more powerful and has much greater chance of being successful than one that's driven just by the coaches. Mm -hmm. I hear that there was a large part of that in what you were talking about. How would you describe what he said fitting the relationship that you and your teammates had with success? Well, I think there's, um, so that's a great point. I think every team that I've ever been on, Carmel, Carmel High School, University of Michigan, um, and my coach, I'm coaching Darren Catholic right now, boys and girls swing. And I think it's important that the coach realize it's not their team. It, you're a servant of that experience. And it's about the, and you know, and I addressed my kids this way. And I said, this is your experience. I am here to guide you and, and to be a servant of this experience. But you need to decide as a group, what does this experience need to include? What, do, what does being on a team mean for you? And what does it look like so that we make sure we incorporate those things into our season? I can I can help control and get those things for you, but I need to know from you what is 
this about? What does it mean for you? What do you want it to be? What breadcrumb are you looking for it to supply in your life? Um, so uh, I, 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 I've always had, you know, we've always had leadership from coaches, but I really think that when I look back over the course of my life, the experiences that the team was able to get amongst each other, the hard work that we did together, those are my great friendships. Those are my um, people I call when, you know, things aren't going well. They are the, the people I call when things are going well. In fact, I was just in um, Minneapolis, Minnesota for a work conference and I called a teammate from Michigan and we went to lunch and spent the whole day together talking four hours, sitting at the same restaurant, catching up. So, you know, they're, they're, I think it's important that the coaches not make it about them. And I think once you do, then you're really running into a style of coaching that isn't healthy for the coach or the athlete. Did you have, and, and you don't have to name names, but as you have had experience all the way from youth swimming through the division one level mm -hmm. and now coaching yourself, did have you seen examples of coaches who had bad habits in the way of that and those who had what you feel were good habits in the way of servant leadership? And what, what do you think are maybe some of the subtle differences that coaches are missing that could help them out to be more successful? Sure. I never really thought about that before, but I think when I immediately, what comes to mind is my coach at the university of Michigan was very even tempered. You never knew um, if he was unsettled about something, um, I see sometimes I've seen in my own career and I see sometimes with my kids coaches that if the athletes aren't performing well, sometimes the coach gets down in the dumps or pouty or um, it's almost like anytime it becomes the athlete's job to take care of the mental health or the well-being of the coach is temperament. I think then that's problematic. I don't think it's healthy for anybody. I think it's teaching kids that they're responsible for other people's, um, you know, uh, good mood or bad mood. Um, and, um, and, and although there were times at University of Michigan that I was frustrated that, aren't you more upset about this, that we're not, you know, that, that really got disqualified at NCAAs and we're all upset and you don't seem to be upset. You know, there would be that piece of me that would, would want to see that. At the same time, looking back on it, I mean, I appreciate it. It was probably, it, it was probably one of the things that allowed us to know that everything's going to be okay. This is not life-threatening. And I think the other piece of that is knowing the people outside of the sport, not necessarily spending time with them outside of the sport, but asking them questions. Who are you outside of sport? What, what's your major? What, you know, what is it that you like about that? If swimming weren't a part of your life, where would you be fulfilling? In what way would you be fulfilling this need to be competitive or this drive or the, you know, I mean, just getting to know people and caring about them outside of sport. What would you describe as your um, challenges as well as your successes making the transition from being a swimmer at Carmel High School to swimming at the University of Michigan in the Big Ten? on a stage of that size? Oh boy. Um, I think when I, I think learning that, um, you know, the universe has your back 
and believing in the, that concept that everything's working for you is a huge piece to being able to transition in any part of your life. Um, I remember a time in high school where our coach said that I was going to have to swim an event. Um, I'd never before really been a, a hundred butterflyer. And I was going to, he was going to switch me from the hundred free to the hundred butterfly because he thought that we had enough teammates that could potentially maybe not hit the exact same time that I had hit in the hundred freestyle the year before, but we could get more, we had three people that could get in and qualify. Um, but in the hundred butterfly, we really didn't have anybody. So, um, and, and there was one other girl that was going to, um, that was going to move to that event as well. And she was, um, she moved in from out of a different city. And so he, and I remember thinking, oh my gosh, like I got to swim the hundred butterfly. I'm so much better at the hundred freestyle. I want to swim the hundred freestyle, but I understood it would be better for our team for me to do the hundred butterfly. And I really, really like, it was hard. Um, and then I did it and that was, I won. I won a state championship from that switch. And I don't know that I would have if I'd stayed in the 100 free. And it, it ended up being one of my best events the rest of my career. And you, that ability, learning to do that, although it was a struggle, I'm not saying that I did it easily at the time, but having that experience where I could use it to garner more trust that things were going to work out for me made going to college a little bit easier. I, you know, when I went to college, you know, they were you know, thinking about swimming me in the 400 IM and I did not feel like I was a 400 IM or, and um, I remember thinking, oh, but I was able to relax into it and not freak out about the idea because of this experience. I was able to, because of the way we trained at Carmel, I knew there was not going to be any training that was harder than I had done. So I wasn't afraid of going and doing more work. Um, I think um, being in a really competitive environment um, made college athletics easier because I knew that they were, everybody was going to be the best from their program. And now we're all the best and we're all put together in the same pool to be teammates and yet also compete against each other. And there were times at college where things weren't easy. Um, but I think having, knowing that my teammates were going through the same experiences on their own campuses, knowing that we had already done a ton of work and that I, that I could trust that things could work out for me, even if I couldn't see the picture right in front of my face. I think all those things definitely made the transition easier. You know, I love that answer. And I, I want to do a kind of a sports parent alert to go back and listen to what you just said again, because you mentioned something in there that I believe is very important that a lot of sports parents or younger children forget again. And that is you have to allow the losses, the struggles, the failures, the changes in lineup, the changes in position, the changes in what event you're swimming or running to take place authentically so that you as a, as a young athlete or a young athlete out there can adjust to that and use that as one of the breadcrumbs along the way. Well, and and I, I think that was a real, I love that answer. I, well, thank you. And what, it, I mean, what would, what would it be like? How would the experience be so much greater if we looked at 
failure or setbacks as like tools, um, you know, growth breadcrumbs. Like how many can you gather? I mean, I want my kids to have as many of those as possible when they leave my house because then they have some skills to deal with the crap that life brings, you know? And my job as a parent is to prepare them for, to be able to function in the world, right? And part of the human drama, human experience is drama and pain. And so if I'm not preparing them with those tools, with the breadcrumbs to carry around, to make their perfect croutons on their salad, then I'm cheating them. And so if we change our mindset to, I don't want my kid to experience any pain or I don't want, you know, I think we, we definitely, there are some parents that spend so much time making sure their kid is in the perfect situation. I've got to find the perfect coach that aligns with them. I've got to find the, the, the team that allows them to play the most. I've got to, you know, this kind of thing. And it, if you can switch your thinking to be more about how many breadcrumbs can they gather so that they can really enjoy this later and use it in their best interest as an adult. You know, this is a good transition with, with that, what you just said there as well, to kind of look more into the current work you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I know you gave us a brief overview, mm -hmm. but I want to dive into that a little further. And the first thing I want to bring up is you mentioned a phrase, zone of genius. Mm -hmm. If you could take a moment to explain what that concept is, where it originated from, and and how it affects the athletes you're working with. Well, in, in sports, I mean, everybody kind of has a zone of genius where they, it's where they're their best. They get into flow, you know, they really, um, they're, 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 all, they're all using their strengths and being their authentic self in a way of self-expression, um, joy of expression, and in athletics, that usually comes through performance. It um, And it can come through work. I mean, I honestly felt like looking back on my career, one of my zone of geniuses is work mode. Mm -hmm. I like to work. I like physical work. So I think it can come in that way as well. But it's the, the and we've all seen great athletes do it. And even young kids, all of a sudden they do this play where you're like, wait, what? Um, and it's like, you know, they just almost step out of their body and, and something crazy happens. And in racing, you'll see it and you can see, um, I've seen races where somebody is tapped into it and they're flowing and then their mind comes into it, their ego mind, their kind of what I call like the earth mind, where they, they, they recognize what's happening. Oh my God, I'm leading. Oh my gosh, I, you know, I'm, I'm out in front or I, my split is way faster than I thought it was going to be. And then all of a sudden, and then they fall right out of it. And then they're competing with just their earth being instead of their zone of genius spiritual being. And it's, a, it's an energy from inside and learning to use it and be able to tap into it at will is a skill and it requires work and practice. And, um, and it is a skill that will serve them for the rest of their lives if they can learn to kind of harness it. You know, you mentioned there the fact that, and it almost seems like a counterintuitive concept, mm -hmm. what we do as human beings, where we are having success, we're, we're doing well, we're in the lead, and it surprises us. And, and I think we see examples of this in athletics at all levels. Mm -hmm. um, 
I even think sometimes that when you see different people perform at whether it's a college or professional level and in, in high high level competitions, the Olympic level, mm -hmm. in some ways seem to do so well under stress mm -hmm. and pressure and others seem to almost always wilt and you mm -hmm. see their statistical data and it's so consistent. Mm -hmm. How much of that do you think actually goes back to I think that's fighting and competing with our human ego? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's exactly it. I think you have to, to be a great, to be great at anything, at great at being, first of all, I believe the universe has to be, the universe works the best when we stick to our own authentic gifts. And so I don't have to be, everybody's confused about being well-balanced and everybody thinks that well-balanced means I've got to do a lot of things well. The universe needs to be well-balanced. I need you to do you really well. I need to do me really well. And so, and you know, and if everybody's doing themselves really well and they're letting their light shine the brightest, then everything works better. And so I think it's true too in athletics. You have to really tap into yourself. You have to know how to go to another place where you can let it flow from within, the performance flow from within. And I think that sometimes we get confused and we think, you know, we hear all these phrases like practice makes perfect and, um, you know, nothing comes without hard work. And I think all those things are true, but I think they serve the purpose of preparing the mind, not necessarily just the body. And that sometimes we need something to be able, as humans, we need something to be able to say, that is the reason why I will be able to do what my mind thinks I can do. So it's almost like it's establishing the evidence for you. Um, but your mind, if you if you use your mind properly and exercise it properly through visualization, through um, you know what I call future future present self thinking, where you actually think about what it is you want to accomplish or who you want to be. Say you're you know. Olympic shot putter, um, that's what your goal is. I wanna make the Olympics and shot put. You think to yourself, how would an Olympic shot putter wake up every day? How would they go to practice? You know, in what mindset are they going to practice every day? When they compete and something doesn't go their way, how would they do that? And then you decide, that's what I wanna be, and you start incorporating those behaviors into your life and you start doing it as if it is presently happening. You mentioned something earlier when you were talking about your high school teammates and how you pushed each other to mm -hmm. be successful. And it sounds like it was a very supportive environment. Mm -hmm. Then you just mentioned there the fact that one of the things that keeps everybody moving in the right direction, and I, I'm going to imply you mean also teams being successful, is when everybody's allowed to show their light, live their, their best selves mm -hmm. to their best ability, as much as they can, mm -hmm. which again, I think rallies around that same principle, team support mm -hmm. and concept. I, I had heard a Catholic priest recently on a homily mention that if someone truly loves somebody or something, mm -hmm. it's a love that happens that takes place without anything expected in return. And I feel like those three things kind of all match up because if you really do respect your teammates or love your teammates, you're going to want them to be successful. And if you're pushing yourself to have your full light and you're supporting your teammates to do the same, mm -hmm. 
would how would you believe that that could be powerful enough to drive not only individual performance but team performance too well i think you have to you have to have a, an understanding that if you're being triggered by something it's something you need to work on and that your the universe will continue to trigger you because it's tapping your shoulder and saying hey here's an opportunity for you to grow so if in 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 my mindset work, some of the law of attraction, I mean, we believe that law of gravity on universe, but there is also a law of attraction that's happening. And if you're jealous of somebody else, you're in a push-pull relationship with that outcome for yourself. You are in some way resisting it at the same time that you're wanting it for yourself. But if you're being jealous of the success that somebody else is having, you're also resisting it. So in order for you to have it, you have to love it in somebody else as well. And so um, I think that when everybody is able to not be triggered and to realize that if I'm, if, you know, if that's upsetting to me or what that person's doing is bothering me, or if this um, environment is triggering me in some way, what's the opportunity in this for me? What's the possibility for me if I see it differently? What's the, um, you know, what's the, what's the breadcrumb that goes in my basket if I can become resilient and, or if I can love my teammate or if I can appreciate their success? You know, when you talk about that concept of, of trying to figure out what it is that you're gaining, the breadcrumb mm. you're gaining from the experience, I want to go back to something you said earlier. You said you feel like today there's a lot more pressure on coaches, athletes, parents. Um, you know, we didn't, we didn't talk about this, but I know the cost of participating in youth sports is, is increasing. Um, high school sports even, you can't do without shelling out fairly significant amounts of money now. How much of the financial piece and the fact that results are right there in front of us all the time on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook has taken away the patience that I think we once exhibited well, right, in letting right. people develop. Yeah. And I'm thinking about this as you're saying this, and I'm like game changer for baseball. It's all instant. Like if I don't go to a game, the game is unfolding on my phone, mm -hmm. whether I'm in attendance of it or not, or if I don't go to the swim meet, it's on meet mobile. So I can tap into it from anywhere. And I bring, I think that you're making an interesting point here because, you know, my parents, if they weren't there, there was no cell phone to check in with me. There was no nothing. So at the end of the day, if you were awake, you might get asked how things went, you know? But <laughs> and you can just lie and say, really great. good, guys. Yeah. All right, great. We'll, well take you to practice Monday. <laughs> the, the beautiful thing about it, too, is my parents didn't know first thing about something. So my mother would often say, well, you look really good. And I'm like, but it's only up for a beauty pageant. Like, I would be so angry with that response. But it truly is one of the things that also freed me to, like, nobody else knows what I'm doing but me. Like, I, you know what I mean? It, 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 there was no... I'm being way harder on myself than anybody else would be. Um, but um, yeah, I think I think maybe there is something to that, the immediate information and um, and statistics and always and you know even the patience piece, but also the comparanoia. what I the it's rampant mm -hmm. in and that's kind of a made up word, but it is what it is. I mean, it is comparison to the point of paranoia. and we're you know checking other kids games and you're checking statistics from other teams and 
I mean, that information wasn't available. Like, you played basketball. I'm sure you didn't know what happened at Carmel High School's Friday night game unless no. you were playing Carmel High School. Right. So, um, And you might find it out on the news at 11, mm -hmm. but you didn't know who came off the bench in the third quarter like right. you do now. You know, I mean, And we didn't text our friends to say, how did you do tonight because we didn't have no, cell phones. But, but, right, so. right. It's just a different time. Um, but, yeah, I do think there's something, something to that piece I hadn't given much thought to before about the patience of it. Um, and I do – I. I yeah, um, and it's just that's interesting. Yeah. Well, think of, I think about it this way. Just this year alone, the St. Louis Blues had the worst record in the NHL on January 1st, mm -hmm. and they started rallying around a song, Gloria. Oh. And next thing you know, they're winning the Stanley Cup, not just because of Gloria, but but I'm, I'm going somewhere with this concept. The Washington Nationals were 19-31 and 31 on June 1st, they had the same number of losses as the Detroit Tigers, who ended up with one of the worst records in baseball, yet Washington Nationals are now in the World Series. They had a player come on a trade, and during that time that the player was here, he changed his walk-up music to Baby Shark. And now every time a guy gets a hit, they do the Baby Shark. Now, here's where I'm going with this. If professional adult athletes mm -hmm. can figure out the concept that, A, just because you're in last place halfway through the season – doesn't mean you can't recover and win. Uh -huh. And B, they figured out the concept that you can have fun right. while still being successful. Why do I see it seems so many parents are treating their like 9, 10, 11, and 12-year-old games as if it's the end of the world? And it's like, relax. Just because you lost today doesn't mean the season's over. I always like to say, if you're breathing, you still got a chance. Right. Okay. I, these teams, these two teams to me prove, like, why can't we let kids have some fun like this and, and tell them, as long as you're playing, you still got an opportunity. Okay, I love this. I, you know, um, a couple things came up when you said this. First of all, we are so tapped in as a society um, to electronics that there is no, very little time, unless you remove all of it away, for daydreaming. Daydreaming is a beautiful skill in planting seeds into your subconscious about what you want to your future to include. When we take all that away for kids, they don't sit around and daydream about winning the World Series. They're on their computers and their Xboxes. They're listening to shows all the time. I think about how many times I didn't have anything else to do or I sat in church when I was supposed to be listening and I'm thinking about, you know, how I wanted to swim, which is okay because I was learning, you know, you're learning the skill of paying attention at a younger age and you can do it for five minutes and then you may be busy on something else for five minutes. But we just don't have that same freedom of mind expansion. And I think that it is really important, and when going back to also what you said about um, asking me about coaches, I had very good coaches that put into play um, planning, season planning, in a way that allowed us to buy into the concepts. The first year we won, we had this chart that was as big as a wall in a room, white paper, and we drew a mountain, and we put steps along the mountain, go 16-0 and 0 in dual meets qualify this many people out of the sectional meet to sectional finals, qualify this many people from sectionals to states, score this many points at state, do this to win the national championship. So every time we did it, then we met, we crossed it off. We, I mean, so we had a visual 
picture of what we were trying to do that season that connected us all the way across. And my college coach was really good at that too. I think, and that's part of the daydreaming piece. You have to be talking about it. It has to be present in everyday conversation. It has to be for top of mind. And you have to allow your subconscious to take over, which I mean, it, that's what that's what it does. Okay, so you you plant the seed and then the subconscious doesn't really have any idea whether that's, and that's why you have to be careful about what you're saying to yourself. Because if you say to yourself, um, I suck and, and, and I'm going to win. The subconscious does not know which of those thoughts to grab onto. So you have to be tempering um, and knowing that the difference between your thoughts and the voice that's in between those thoughts. Explain to parents and coaches listening to this, the impact of their words also on the subconscious thoughts well, that yeah, an athlete I mean, it's has. Just, like, it's just your, your, your subconscious will not know that that's not the thing it's programming itself for. So the the words are very important. And you know, if you're one of if you're a catastrophic speaker, like you you're like, oh, it's a disaster. Suddenly, it's a disaster. Um, and 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 the biggest piece of this is everything is about raising your energy vibration, which I know that sounds a little woo woo y, no, but but it is. It is, you have to be in an energy resonancy that allows you to perform well, that allows you to um, get the most out of a situation, that puts all of the things that you want in alignment with your ability to get them. And one of the ways that you do that is to constantly think the next better thought. And if you're going to catastrophic speaking, like it's a disaster, then you're going down here. And that's a lower energy vibration. When you're playing baby shark, you're raising your energy vibration into where you're putting your energy in alignment with what is in your you know, vortex of possibilities. So it's really important that you speak positively, that you um, think and daydream and plant those positive seeds because all of those things move you one step higher on the energy alignment spectrum for lack of a better way to put it so what i hear you saying is you can maybe take like the st louis blues and what they did after they loosened up start having mm. fun and and they're not winning because of the song gloria but it's helping their energies align in the right direction it's keeping it a positive atmosphere washington national is the same it became more fun to show up at the ballpark compete each day and then it just kind of is it yes. momentum then that just builds yes, it's, it's truly energy it's truly energy. And so if your subconscious mind planted that you can win the Stanley Cup and 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 that was a thought that came up and you have, you know, a belief is just a thought that you repeated long enough that you believed it. So if your thoughts, the ones that you repeated enough became a belief and that belief is in your your subconscious and that's out in your vortex now because you've planted it there. You now have to put your energy in alignment with the reception of it. And so you, when you raise your energy level with Baby Shark or you raise your energy level because your team decides to do a three-strike rally and wear their hats backwards, it changes the energy so that you can be in receiving mode of what you've, what you've put out there. One, one thing in, in going kind of along the same concept, I, I personally have noticed that it seems like the era of, and I'm going to say the the Bo Schimbeckler, Woody Hayes, Bob Knight, yell, scream, 
era of coaches is starting to fade and you're finding more what seems to be cerebral long-term thinking. I'm thinking Brad Stevens, Tony Dungy, Frank Reich. A lot of people listening to this probably won't believe this, but if you study, Bill Belichick is a very cerebral. He doesn't yell a lot. It's very calm. It's process-oriented. Who Do you think there's a intentional shift that's happening in that direction or – like what, what? What do you? How do you view that? So I right? view the 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 first group of coaches that you mentioned, the Bob Knight. Let's just say that model as being an external motivator. They're someone that is instilling fear, their anger, their um, it's all external motivation factors. The the new paradigm to which you referred, the Brad Stevens model, the Bill Belichick. You know, people. We're in Indiana. Nobody's going to believe Bill Belichick has anything positive <laughs> about him, but yeah. that's okay. But he. Um, that model, it's um, they're internal inspirators. So they're tr- they're they're recognizing that people perform at their best when they're internally inspired. So I think and I think that as a whole, our society is becoming a more consciously aware and mindful society. Um, you know, not even that long ago, children were supposed to be seen, not heard. Um, And we're realizing that that's probably not very consciously responsible um, and that that created a lot of bad habits. So I think as a society, we are moving toward being more consciously aware. And I think that their coaching style reflects that. I think if you, if you're, you know, in order for your athletes to be their best, they have to be internally inspired. It has to come from within. And they're on the right track if they're doing things that are helping them helping the athletes believe in themselves, um, you know, trust themselves. That's a piece that that is lost in sports today too. Coaches are so busy making the decisions for everybody and dictating that this is the way it has to be that they you dumb down an athlete's internal GPS system to where the person doesn't know for themselves what's best. They leave the sport and they're like, uh... I don't know. I'm so used to someone telling me what to do, or I'm so used to not having any choices. You know, people say athletes have great time management skills, and I kind of find that oxymoronic because they have no free time. So they're not managing any time. Time managed for them. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. So, and it is great because you, you become very skilled at being a very busy person and, and knowing how to handle the stress of constantly being busy, but it's not necessarily the skill of time management. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think going back to your Point. I think the two different models, I think it's a, a reflection of what's happening in our society. And I also think it's uh, kudos for them for understanding that people do better when they're inspired from within rather than externally motivated. I want to jump back to something you said earlier and tie it into sure. your last answer. You mentioned the fact of time management mm-hmm. in that last answer and, and how it's oxymoronic. I agree with you because I hear many athletes who, after they retire or finish their collegiate careers will say, I don't know what to do now. Mm -hmm. My day used to be full and I feel lost. You mentioned earlier that one of the things you're doing is helping folks with the life transition out of sport. Tell us a little bit about that part of your business and how you can help positively impact athletes in that transition. Well, so I just think what's happened is we're on the edge of, um, I think it's going to start changing once coaches start realizing the importance of not everybody has the ability to see how this translates in real life. 
So you have to, as a coach, you have to do a better job of pointing that out. You have to um, work with the athletes and stay curious with them and continue to ask them questions instead of telling them um, so that they do have some kind of, you know, I call it, thoughts are one thing and we can all hear thoughts. We have the thought in one minute, gosh, I look great today. And the next minute, uh, what's wrong with that? You know, what's wrong with your hair? And they're in, they're within one minute of each other and they're two totally conflicting thoughts. And then there's the voice that sits behind the thoughts and it's learning to hear the voice that sits behind the thoughts. And we all know right away when the coach says, you choose which one the voice behind the thoughts says. And what happens then, and, and it's learning the skill of having an insight and then taking action and not leaving the time in between to have your ego come in and talk you out of it. So it's growing those skills with your athletes while they're in front of you, give you a choice. And there is no right choice except for the choice that the person makes from the voice inside, because otherwise the choice is somebody else's. And so um, pointing out how, if you can learn to grow this voice, you will never falter. There is no wrong step. All roads will lead to the same place if you can listen to your internal voice. And so I think, um, as coaches, we're, we're going to get better at planting those seeds for them and, and tying things together and saying, okay, here's your breadcrumb basket for salad, for croutons. Here's the breadcrumb basket that you can use in your um, Thanksgiving stuffing. Here's the, you know, and, and but it, right now we haven't done it. And so the people then come out of sport and they're confused. And so it's going back, using their own successes and failures and pointing those things out to them in hindsight, um, showing them that, um, that they really do have all the answers. And this is how I know, tell me a time when you did listen to that voice and how did things work out for you and kind of just helping them get back in connection with themselves. Um, and also, um, learning how to see, have an identity about who they are and knowing that they're whole and complete without, regardless of what's going on around them or what anyone else is saying or doing. And so it, it kind of getting back to that, having a, a whole and complete identity as a person, not just an athlete. Mm -hmm. And that's a, a great opportunity too, to expand a little more. I'd love for you to describe and it doesn't have to be in-depth, but you've had a very interesting life and career that <laughs> really, I think you would probably agree with, got kicked off with swimming, but has become way more than that. And I, I would love for you to share what, what you've done post-University of Michigan and how it's led you to where you are today, sitting okay. here with me. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So um, graduated from the University of Michigan, and because of the way swimming falls out in the season, you don't get done until April. So I didn't do anything to secure any kind of graduate school placement um, until I was done swimming. So I took a year and lived at home and worked at the Gap. And that, it became very clear to me very quickly that I needed to have a job that that was more than folding clothes. And so, um, although I did meet Jim Harbaugh, he came into the store and khakis? bought khakis. Yes, yes he did. Good. Yes, he did. Um, so, uh, but we were so impressed because he came in and bought like $500 worth of khakis and shirts. And we were all like, in one day, wow. 11 o'clock on a Monday. This is awesome. He'd literally flown in the night before to take the job. 
came to the Gap and was staying at the hotel near the at Keystone. Anyway, um, so outside of that moment, I knew I needed something more. Um, but I had also planned to apply to law school and had done that over the summer. Um, and then got into law school, went to law school, um, ended up working at the NCAA for a period of uh, roughly 10 years in different capacities. I was full-time and then did contract work part-time, trying to make it work with my kids at home, and then decided that ultimately I needed to take a break and raise my family. And so did a little bit of family law to stay active on the side. And when I went, kind of was making some decisions about what do I want to do when I grow up at 45, I was making these decisions. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, when I go back to it and my kids are now old enough and I can really focus on having a career of my own, how do I really want to spend my time? And when I went back and looked at all the jobs that I had had, whether it was, you know, teaching swim lessons at 14 to, um, you know, working at the school as an instructional assistant, being a lawyer and as a public defender in Marion County in the domestic violence court, um, working at the NCAA, every single job, the one thing that I could put on the list of what I liked about it that was in every single job was working in service of helping and guiding other people to be best versions of themselves. So, you know, whether that included being a good swimmer or whether that included doing well on a spelling test or whether it included creating legislation that worked for the NCAA's member institutions, it was, it was always about that. And so I thought, what is the career that I can do that can allow me to do this? This is what I'm passionate about. How can I be kind of a catalyst in people's lives for them to get, to, to really have that wonderful feeling of like, I'm killing it as me. You know, one, one thing that I think is undervalued in that is looking at the big picture uh -huh. of sports. And we've touched on that in many areas today. And so I appreciate you candidly sharing your uh -huh. entire journey, including a literal gap year. Uh -huh. Did did someone tell you take a gap year and you just thought that meant go to the gap store? Did that <laughs> right, right, good, right. good connection. I didn't yeah. even make that. Um, no, um, no, I think I just, I honestly, I couldn't do any, like I couldn't focus. I'm not someone that can focus on multiple things well. Mm -hmm. So I kind of knew I needed to finish this. And then when that's done, my parents were gracious enough to say, and when it's done, then you need to get busy on your plan for, for what's next. But um, they gave me, you know, until I was done. I didn't mm -hmm. have to try to apply for schools and finish one thing and be busy already thinking about the next. I got to really finish it. And I think that it had really allowed me to mourn the sport as I needed to. And letting it go, you know, out of my life in a way that allowed me to pace myself through that. Because I didn't, ex I don't think you really know what a loss it is to not be in it all the time. And that's one thing that I'm really grateful that, um, you know, this whole thing with 33 years, it allows you to be something, it's, it's so much more than about you. It allows you to be something, part of something so much bigger than your own experience and that's probably the greatest thing about sports too whether it's whether you learn 30 you know win 33 years in a row or not it's about being part of something that's bigger than you and i think that's sometimes where we get caught up when we're making it too much about the the one person i know you're enthused and excited about what you're currently doing and i would love for you to take a couple minutes to share with everyone listening 
what your the name of your project, how to get in touch with you, okay. Okay, contact information, because I know you're you're here, you're ready to serve people, and I'm sure we have people listening that could benefit from your services. So I'd love for you to expand on that. Okay, great, thanks. Um, I am. My company is called Higher Energy Rising. So her H E R coaching. Um, and, um, you can find me on Facebook, just Missy McCracken. I, I reach out, request a friend, and I'd be happy to add you to my following. Um, I'm in the process of getting a website set up. It's being built right now. And, um, and I'm on LinkedIn on Missy McCracken, LinkedIn. And then my email, if anybody wants to email me, they are absolutely free to do so, is Marissa, M-A-R-I-S-A, McCracken, M-C-C-R-A-C-K-E-N, at hotmail.com. Excellent. Thank you. Um, last question. I always like to, to finish with something that kind of encompasses the entire idea of competition. When you look back on what you've done up to this point in your life, and then as you look ahead to to what you're going to do with the higher energy rising and, and her coaching. How has the competitive sports that you were involved in on various levels and still are today, how's that influenced your life and how has that made you passionate for what you're doing now? I think the one of the biggest ways it's, it's affected me is that um, – is that it kind of has allowed me to create the system that I believe in strongly where you decide you want something and then you focus on getting it and you became hyper-focused about behaving toward it, being it, doing it, um, and then you get your belief around it and then your energy aligns with it and then you take action. And I think that five-step process is how I've done anything I've wanted to do in my life. And I think that I learned it through sports. And it's only in hindsight that I can look back and put those five steps on paper. But it is it is through athletics I was able to realize that I have to decide I want something first. And then the other things kind of are the backfill. And, um, and then once you decide, and you really decide, not wishy-washy decide, firmly to plant two feet in the ground and decide that um, you know anything is really possible. Nice. Missy, this has been a treat today. And I thank you for joining the Y Sports Podcast. I look forward to the people who get an opportunity to listen to this. Please get an opportunity, if you do, to check out all the stuff on social media that she has. Again, higher energy rising, her coaching. Don't be afraid to send an email to, I, I know you'd be willing to answer questions, provide concepts to what you're doing in, in helping athletes. And you're, again, I want to make sure I get that you're coaching athletes. You can work with parents. You yes. can work with coaches, anybody who is looking for. Yes. And I also work and, with non-athletes, the okay. high performers that are just having trouble, um, you know, getting, um, getting the results they want. They're doing all the right things, but can't figure out wh why they're not getting the result they want. I'm, I'm that too. Um, but I do want to share too, another great place to go is the Athletes Village. And if you follow me on the Athletes Village, it's a website on, I mean, it's a, a link on Facebook. It's a Facebook group, I guess is how you refer to it. Um, they have great questions posed for parents and athletes. And it's a great forum to look and research answers to things. And if you follow me on it, you can get all of my answers that I've ever supplied to anyone. 
And, um, and it'll give you a little bit more about the way I think and do um, when I work with athletes. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that too. Mm -hmm. So I hope all of you listening have enjoyed this podcast. Missy, thank you again. Uh, good luck to you as you can in best wishes. I'd rather say that yeah. it's not, it's not luck. It's about continue yeah. to take your energy in the, the direction that you are, but I hope uh, higher energy rising and your coaching goes very well for you moving forward. So thanks again for, for being here today. Thank you. It was a lot of fun to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Y Sports Podcast. I hope you share this episode with others. And if you are so inclined, would love to see your thoughts and comments about this episode, as well as any ideas you might have for future guests. Thank you again for listening to the Y Sports Podcast, and I hope you have an opportunity to listen to our next episode.